0: Please take out your scripture and turn to John chapter 4. We'll be looking at this second miraculous sign that John records. But I'd like to open with a question. Just ponder this for a moment. How do you know your faith is real. How do you know that you have saving faith? How do you know, how can you be sure that you have the kind of faith that will persevere to the end? Both actors, uh, Brad Pitt, And uh, Hugh Jackman grew up in Christian homes. And both men have since, since distanced themselves from the faith. Brad Pitt has said, I found my Christian upbringing very stifling. I always had a lot of questions about the world, even in kindergarten. A big question for me, he says, was fairness. If I had grown up in some other religion, would I get the same shot at heaven? as Christians do. When I got untethered from the comfort of religion, he says, it wasn't a loss of faith for me. It was a discovery of self. Interesting, Hugh Jackman grew up in a deeply religious family. His his family his parents were actually converted at a Billy Graham crusade. But in twenty thirteen, in an interview, he said this I was involved with so many things at church at a young age. It was my social group. It's where I met girls. It was sort of my life out of school. Then, around 16 or 17, I started questioning. What's real faith? Kids, here in this sanctuary, kids, how do you know if you've given your life to Christ, how do you know your faith is real? Today's story gives us some clues as to what real faith is. Look with me at verse 43 and following. God's word says, after the two days he, that is, Jesus, left Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see a miraculous sign and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him and with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea. To Galilee. After two days in Samaria, Jesus travels north back into Galilee, back to his home territory, to Cana, where he had performed the first miracle, turning about 180 gallons of water into fine wine. And there a man approaches Jesus and begs for help. That that verb there is, is actually asked, but it's It's put in a verbal form that says he asks again and again and again and again. So the so the translator is doing some interpretation there. He's begging Jesus for help. And that is our first sign of real faith. It is real faith is born in need. Real faith is born in need. I just prayed recently. I was asked to pray recently for a newborn in a hospital somewhere around here whose mother was nursing, and all of a sudden the baby turned, started turning blue. And so the doctors and nurses rushed in and took the baby into the next room and were working on the child. Now, the end of the story is good. The child lived, but I can't help but think about that those moments when the mother was alone in that room, sitting in the bed, not knowing if that child was going to live or die. Could you imagine the anguish, the desperation, the helplessness? I'm sure this is how this man felt, watching his son's life ebb away. Now you've got to realize that this was a a royal official, probably in Herod's court, so he had the money. He had the means to take anything and everything at that time that could help this child to help this his child. And nothing was helping his child. His child was dying. Was turning blue if you will before his very eyes. Nothing worked. He was helpless. He was desperate. So he heard of this man, this miracle worker that had done this great miracle in Cana, had come back to Cana. So what does he do? What would you do? What would I do? He got there. 20 miles away, he got to Cana. He traveled the four-hour journey from Capernaum to Cana to beg for Jesus' help. His father was in desperate need. And that's where real faith is born, guys. In need. Real saving faith is born in need. Here at this church, to become a member, you have to write out your testimony. And many people have never written their testimony. Some people have never even given their testimony. So the, the elders have, have given give people a guide To help organize their thoughts on giving a testimony. And basically, a testimony, the guide has three questions that it asks What was your life like before Christ? What was the need that drove you to Christ? And what's your life been after Christ? And that second question is all important. What was the need? What need did you see in your life that drove you? To Christ's feet. What was it? What was it that made you, like this father, run to Christ and beg Him in desperation? Because Christianity isn't about a better life, Christianity is not about religiosity, going to church. Christianity is not about moral standing, having a shiny exterior. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is not about being more generous or serving more. It's not about better behavior or becoming a better person. Biblical Christianity is about being forgiven. Biblical Christianity Is about being forgiven. That's what it's all about, guys. You see, whether you know it or not, you're in a desperate situation. We're all born into a desperate situation. You're a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, when this life is over, without being forgiven, you go into an eternal life of unforgiveness. And what happens is that unforgiveness... Is is sown and it grows up. And you know what the Bible says that looks like? What does eternal unforgiveness look like? It looks like darkness. It looks like unsatisfied longing. The Bible says the fruit of, of eternal unforgiveness is a thirst that never goes away. The fruit of that borne out is loneliness in fear, and pain, and anguish, sorrow. Those are all words that the Bible uses to describe hell. Because the fruit of an unforgiven life is hell. That's the word of God. And unless you see your desperate need of being forgiven of sin in this life, you will go to hell. That's the sad reality. That's the truth of God's word. But just like this father heard that Jesus came to the next town, Jesus came here. That's what we are celebrating in this month. The advent, his coming. He came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. A life that you and I can never live. He was wrongfully accused and killed for a crime he didn't commit. He died willingly and intentionally in order to pay for sin once and for all. He died so we could live. He was declared guilty so that we might be declared not guilty. He died unforgiven so that we can die forgiven. And the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is anyone who realizes this need, anyone can come to Jesus and he forgives you. He forgives you. You confess your sin and you receive total forgiveness. You are, in other words, healed spiritually. That's what salvation is. If you have not come to a point in your life where you have run to Jesus and begged Him for forgiveness, your faith is not real. You don't have real saving faith. Sure, you can have a Damascus Road experience. You can have that. Paul had no no need in his life when Jesus appeared to him and knocked him off his horse, so to speak. You can have that kind of experience as a Christian. Where God comes to you, but at some point, at some point in your life, believer, you have to come to that point where you say, I desperately need Jesus Christ. That's where Paul got to, didn't he? You read that in Romans 7 when he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? He got there. He realized his need. His desperate need. Paul Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, came to this understanding too. Listen to how he puts it. He writes, I was driven to such straits that I must of necessity go to Jesus. And if he, had not, if he had met me with a sword drawn in his hand, I would sooner throw myself upon its edge than have gone away from him. I knew him to be my last hope. You see, for real faith, real faith is born out of that kind of desperation, people. As Paul Metzger, the commentator, wrote, when desperation sets in, faith sets in. Because you realize, you get to a point where you realize that Jesus is my only hope in this life. Secondly, we see here real faith not only is born out of desperate need, but it also passes tests. Real faith passes tests. Look with me at verses 47 through 50. We see here when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Jesus says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come before my child dies. And Jesus replies, you may go, your son will live. I want us to notice two really important things about this, these verses. The first thing I want us to notice is what Jesus does not do. He does not do two things. The first thing Jesus does not do is Jesus does not immediately heal that child. Do you notice that? He did not immediately heal the official's son. In fact, in verse 48, it really looks like a rebuff, doesn't it? Here this man is begging, like I told you, over and over again is the action that is said there in the verbal form. Begging, begging, begging. And Jesus really is rough with this guy. Unless you seem signs, you'll never believe. What is Jesus doing here? I thought Jesus was a nice guy. I thought Jesus was full of compassion. What's he doing here? He's testing this man's faith. The official had enough faith to come to him, but does he have enough faith to persevere? We see Jesus doing this throughout the Gospels because Jesus knows and is trying to teach us that real saving faith passes these kinds of tests. Perhaps you the one that pops to mind, I know this is the one that popped to mind when I was preparing, is in Matthew 15. The Canaanite woman, if you remember that, this Canaanite woman had a demon-possessed daughter and, he, and she goes to Jesus and the same as the official, same scenario, goes to Jesus and was begging Jesus following him and his disciples around begging him to heal his her daughter. You remember how he reacted to her? He didn't even acknowledge her existence. Not until the disciples came and said, "Jesus, Jesus, this woman is following us around and she's not being quiet. We can't take it anymore." And so Jesus turns to her and do you remember what he says there? He says, you know, I came for the Israelites, not the Canaanites. (laughs) Boy, that's compassion. What about if I were to say things like that to people that came in here? The woman continues and perseveres. Do you remember what he says to her next? He says this. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dog's. Canaanites—that was one of their nicknames, the dogs. What is Jesus doing here? Pushing this woman away. But you know what the woman does? Keeps at it. Heal my, heal my daughter, heal my daughter, heal my daughter. And you know she says this. This is this is amazing. He she says. To Jesus, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. Do you remember Jesus' reply to that? Woman, you have great faith. Heals the daughter. What's Jesus doing there? He's testing her faith. Have you come here just for the miracle or more? What's going on here? Do you have faith that will pass these tests? Do you have solid faith or paper-thin faith? Real faith passed tests. It's throughout Scripture. It's the same with Job, right? Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. It was the same with David. Great Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he ends up saying, yet in the congregation I will praise you. It's the same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The God we serve is able to save us, but if he doesn't, I still have faith. It's the same with Habakkuk, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. Real faith, real saving faith, pass tests. When you have real faith, when you really believe in something, you're willing to go through it with faith no truer than a man called Robert Cheeseborough. Maybe you know of him. He invented Vaseline. He invented Vaseline. He believed in the healing properties of this petroleum jelly so much he became his own guinea pig. He burned himself with acid and flame. He cut and scratched himself so often and so deeply that he bore the scars the rest of his life. But he proved that his product worked. People had only to look at his wounds and see the extent of his belief. As you go through life, people, your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested, sometimes gruelingly, but real saving faith endures. I told you there are two things that Jesus does not do. First, he does not heal immediately. But secondly, did you notice it? Jesus doesn't go with the man. Come, come, heal my son, go. Go. Your son will live. See, real faith believes without seeing. Real faith <laughs> believes without seeing. Look at verse 50. Jesus replies, Go. You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Jesus didn't go with them, he just said, Go home. It's done. Go home. Jesus is really pushing this man's faith. Do you see this? This is, this is a grueling endurance test. Will you trust me at my word even though I don't go with you? I know you want me to come home and touch and heal. We've seen him do that many times before in the Gospels. But here he's saying, just go. Just believe without seeing Will you believe that your son is healed even though he's four hours away? Even though he's in Portland? No, Portsmouth. Will you believe without seeing? Jesus is masterful in leading this man to a decision point of complete trust. If you believe me, go. What we see in the text is that he did. He took him at his word and departed. But I want us to notice the extent of this man's faith. Look at the verses that follow. It says, while he was still on the way, the servant met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, he said to him, the fever left him yesterday, the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. If you're a Bible underliner, underline the word yesterday. Because that really shows the extent of this guy's faith. This guy believed Jesus' word so much. Believed his son was healed that he didn't leave Cana. He didn't hightail it back to check on his son. He stuck around. This was the next day. That's amazing faith. I mean, some of us in this room would even call it irresponsibility of a father. Don't check on your son. Jesus said it. I don't have to check. He truly took Jesus at his word. He believed even though he didn't see because real faith never has to see to believe The African impala can jump 10 feet high and 30 feet at a leap. 10 feet by 30 feet. Yet these animals can be kept in a zoo by a three-foot wall. They won't jump over the wall. Why? Because the impala will never jump where it doesn't see where it's going to land and thus it can be kept in an enclosure that they could easily bound out of. Faith is jumping where we cannot see the landing point. That's what faith is. That's the whole point of Hebrews 11, that hall of faith. That's the whole point that he takes the whole chapter repetitively saying over and over again, It starts out by giving a definition of faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what? What you cannot see. You're certain of it. Believing even if you don't see. And then the writer gives example after example after example. By faith, Noah built an ark, didn't see the rain, built the ark. By faith, Abraham left Ur, didn't know where he was going. But he left. By faith, Isaac passed on the messianic blessing to Jacob. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. On and on and on. But what struck me is that twice in that chapter, in verse 13 and verse 39, the writer of the Hebrews finds it important to say this Yet none of them received what they had been promised, all of them did not see what they had been promised. They believed, even though they never received. Their faith was never confirmed by sight. This is exactly what the official is demonstrating before our very eyes here. He didn't make a beeline home to confirm it. He stayed in Cana and went home the next day. He didn't need to see Andrew Fuller's famous sermon, Walking by Faith, was inspired by an experience he had while traveling on horseback after a heavy rain. He came to a river, and the river was flooded. And he hesitated by the river edge until he heard a voice from behind, a farmer, who said, go on in, it's fine, you'll make it across. So Fuller nudged his horse in went in, as it got up to the saddle, he stopped again. And the farmer said, no, no, it's okay, just keep going. So he nudged his horse further and in a few paces it started getting shallower and shallower and he made it out. And he said this in his sermon. He said, we walk by faith, not by sight, but our walk is on solid ground even though it is hidden from sight. That is so true, that's it guys. You want you want to know what real saving faith looks like? It does without seeing. Sometimes your whole life. Lastly, real faith loves the treasure and not the clues. Real faith loves the treasure and not the clues. I'm going to I can't believe I'm actually going to say this. I'm going to show my age. I was of the age, coming of age, in the late 70s, early 80s, when the movie Goonies came out. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Goonies. In order to, the premise is, to, uh, in order to save their home from foreclosure, these bunch of kids find a treasure map, and they decide to follow it and try and find one-eyed Willie's treasure, the pirate's treasure. And the clues take them all over town, down underneath the caverns, underneath the city, until they find the treasure. And they were following clues the whole time. It's a fun movie to watch. But what about if the kids found the clue and were enamored by the clue so much that they didn't follow it to the treasure. They said, this clue is so cool and good, I don't know, I'm not gonna go any further. What about if they did that? It would be a, not only a terrible movie, it would be terrible writing. It, 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 would, it doesn't make sense, does it? Loving the clues instead of the treasure is wrong. A couple weeks ago, I told you, starting out this series, that John, in his book, has a purpose for writing his book. And his purpose is found in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And his purpose is this, that these miracles that are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, what John is saying is, these miracles that Jesus did are clues to who Jesus is. We read in verse 53 that when this official got home, he saw his son was healed. He saw the miracle confirmed and all his household believes, it says. They believe in Jesus. They put their trust in Jesus. They put their trust in the promised one. While Anna's on maternity leave, I have the pleasure of teaching the youth gap kids, and there were probably about 15 or 20 of them here. I was teaching this past week, and one of them stops me and goes, how were people in the Old Testament saved? Were they just, you know, youth are great, were they just discarded? I said, well, no, they weren't discarded. But they brought up a great, great, great fundamental question. How were people before Christ saved? And I had the pleasure of teaching them, as I'm teaching you, they're saved the same way we are. We look back at the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Old Testament believers looked forward to the promise of that person coming. And this official guide. This official didn't just see the clue and go, that is so great, my son is healed, thank you. He went, my son is healed. The promised one was coming, Isaiah 35, to heal, a healing ministry. Isaiah 53, he's going to be the man of sorrows to take away my sin. His whole family believed that. They didn't stop at the clues. And we are so guilty of stopping at the clues, aren't we? You know, we pray for a miracle and the miracle happens. Yay! Or we have prayer that's answered or unanswered and we stick there. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure that they were overjoyed that their son was alive, but they got the clue that led them to the treasure. And that is Jesus Christ, their only hope. The clues to the real treasure, Jesus Christ. The point of Jesus performing the miracle was to ask this question. Do you want the miracle or do you want me? Do you want the miracle or do you want me? That's what he asks in all the answered prayers and all the unanswered prayers and all the, the gifts that he can give you. They're just clues to the treasure that is Jesus Christ. That's what miracles are all about. Do you love the Father or do you want what the Father has? Do you treasure Jesus or do you treasure... Jesus, for what he can give you and do for you. Do you treasure the clue or do you love the treasure? John Piper, in his book and video, Gravity and Gladness, says this, the question of whether you are a true worshiper worshiper will be measured by what you can lose and still be satisfied. Listen to that again. The question of whether you are a true worshiper, a true believer, you have real faith, real saving faith, will be measured by what you can lose and still be satisfied. See, God wants us to be satisfied with Him and not what He has, not what He can do for you. This family had real faith because they saw beyond the miracle to the real treasure that is Jesus Christ. That's what he does constantly doing in each one of our lives. That's why you go through the things you go through. He wants to strip everything away so that you can see him, the real treasure. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Spirit, cut our hearts and open up new places for your gospel to get into. In Jesus' name, Amen.